uphold all who are falling. You raise up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all are to look to you. And you give us food in due season. Thank you for all the ways in which you provide for us many times in ways that we don't stop to think about. Thank you, Lord, that you are near to all who call upon you, to all who call on you in truth. That's what we've sought to do this morning thus far in song, is call upon you. So we thank you that as we've done so, that you are in fact near. I pray in particular for those here today who are in a time in which it doesn't feel like you are near. Father, encourage them today with the truth of your scripture. Father, you say that you fulfill the desires of those who fear you. And you hear the cry of all who call upon you for salvation. We pray for people in our lives who have yet to accept the gospel and respond to Christ in faith and repentance. We pray that the way that we live as a community, as a church, would show the reality of the gospel. We pray that what we spend our money on and how we use time would communicate the reality of an unseen God. Lord, we thank you that you preserve those who love you, but the wicked ultimately will be destroyed. May our mouths speak of your praise and our flesh bless your name forever and ever. And as we turn now to the preaching of your word, God, we are so easily distracted. We pray that you would, by your grace, through your spirit, that you would help us to not just listen, but to genuinely hear. We pray that our lives, God, would bring more glory and honor to you as a result of what you do in us in the next 45 minutes. We pray this all to your praise and glory. Amen. Uh, kids, you are dismissed for Gospel Project. Those who are here, thank you for being here. Uh, if you're new with us, my name is Chuck. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to get to open the Scriptures and uh, talk with you through them. If uh, you've not ever communicated with us as a church, we would love to hear from you. In the chair in front of you, there is a card that you can fill out giving whatever information you'd like, and uh, someone will shoot you an email or a text this week, see if there's ways we can pray for you or serve you. And everybody, the information in those cards has been uh, updated, so if you want to know what's going on, you might look there and take something. If you get bored with me, you can also do that. This is the second one, so it should be better than the first, right? We'll see what happens. Uh, today we're going to finish uh, out a series of messages we've been doing for the last month called Solus. Uh, solus is the Latin word for alone. And for several hundred years, the core theology of the Bible in terms of what it teaches about salvation has been summarized in five uh, statements. In English, uh, they are, people are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, 
according to Scripture alone and for God's glory alone. Now, it's later than it is normally, so you are more awake, right? So let's say those uh, together. Let's just start from the top. People are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and for God's glory alone. We've been giving away uh, something each week to sort of seal these in our memory and give us a way to visibly uh, talk with others about what we have been learning, and I have saved the best for last. You don't even know what it is, Dre. (laughs) This does fit you because uh, there's lots of hands going up. This is a problem. Um, Martin Luther uh, very famously was taken before a, a group of people and asked to renounce his faith recant his writings. And one of the things he said in this was, my conscience is held captive to the word of God. I cannot recant. And this says that, and Dre, this is yours. Everybody give Dre some love. Today we're going to address that last uh, sola. Sola Dea Gloria, God's glory alone. One theologian I read this week said that sola dea gloria is the glue that holds all the other solas together. You see, in the first four, we have come to see, maybe for the first time, or perhaps it's been uh, simply review, but we've come to see that God is just and He deals with sin. And yet He's also merciful and good, holy and compassionate, powerful and caring. And all of that together, of course, ought to lead to the recognition that all glory for salvation belongs to God. In this last sola, we will be discovering that together. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 11. That's where we will be this morning. If you don't have one, there's one under the chair in front of you. And we will be on page 655 in those chair Bibles. 655. Please feel free to take that if you don't have a Bible of your own. A couple of comments to set up uh, what we're about to read. One of the great oddities of life is our tendency to make much of ourselves. We have a shocking capacity to believe we are the center around which everything else must obediently orbit. We are seemingly selfish down to the core. If you don't think that's you, you're simply making my point. (laughs) Social media, of course, is an easy example of this, but social media is not the cause of this problem. It's merely the accelerant, just spreads it more quickly. It's the indicator that the human heart, apart from God's intervention, is incessantly selfish. So just think with me for a moment. This is rhetorical. In the last seven days, how many decisions have you made? How many thoughts have you had? How many words have you spoken? Simply out of a desire for self to be first. I can certainly think of some examples. There is selfishness in our DNA. 
Now, if you disagree, let me try putting it a different way, a little softer. We don't want to run everybody off the first time we meet at 11.15. What are you most passionate about? What really gets you your blood pumping? Is it work? Is it health? Is it vacations? Is it the accomplishments and accolades of a degree? Is it looks? Is it a new relationship? What is it? What seems most important to you? Now think a little bit deeper. Because all of those things are, are really nothing more than the fruit of a deeper root. That deeper root is we are passionate about ourselves. And it just comes out in lots of different ways. What we want, like, need, ends up driving most of our lives. Now, this big-headedness is always a result of small-mindedness. 500 years ago, a French pastor said that the whole world is the theater of God's glory. But all too often, we seem to be content with our own awesomeness. Our achievements, our looks, our degrees, our views, our connections, our busy schedules. Me, 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 me. Now, in the face of this, what the Bible calls pride, is what feels like a cold, hard reality. God, not you, God, not me, is the center around which everything else orbits. My goal today is rather small. It's to convince you of that. So that's why we need God's help, right? God is supreme. God is big. We are small. He is sovereign. We are subordinate. He is eternal. We are momentary. God is God. God deserves all glory. And that's the greatest, most wonderful news there could ever be. Well, that brings us to Romans 11, 33 to 36. Follow along with me in your Bible. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. These mountaintop verses are among the grandest of the entire Bible. Make a rather large assertion. That assertion is that all glory, all honor, all praise, all recognition belongs to God and God alone forever. It's right there at the end of verse 36, to Him be glory forever. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that God is worthy of glory? Well, it means that God deserves all honor, all praise from all people for all eternity. That without exception, everything good has as its 
recipient of recognition to the God of the Scriptures. You see, teachers can't instruct him. Doctors can't diagnose him. Artists can't outcreate him. Scientists can't exhaust him. Attorneys can't persuade him and nurses can't tend to his needs. Philosophers can't explain him. God is God. Despite our best efforts to the contrary, we are not the center. Life is not about us. God is God. That's what these verses claim. To Him be the glory forever. Now, you would expect a preacher to say that kind of thing, right? There's probably no surprise thus far. But let's ask why and really try to discern an answer. Why is it that all glory belongs to God? Well, the passage tells us, and I think the clearest way to discern the truth, the meaning in this text, is actually to go from backwards forward. So to go from his conclusion and then trace back the argument. So the end of verse 36, we've talked about, but the beginning answers the question, why? And this is an amazing sentence. Why is God to be glorified forever? Well, the first half of 36 tells us. It says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. This is comprehensive in scope. Nothing is outside the bounds of what this verse just said. From him are all things. That means that God is the creator, that nothing exists that doesn't have its origin in God, that God was first, that God spoke words, and everything that exists came into being. You and I can't create anything out of nothing, but that's exactly what God can do, and God has done. God is the creator from the farthest galaxy to the oxygen we breathe. God made it. God is the source of all things. What power He has. Through Him are all things. This means that God is the sustainer. Your heart beats another time, not simply because that's what your body does, but because the Creator continues to sustain it. The sun came up again this morning because God said, do it again. You are able to stay seated in your chair, not because you stayed up too late last night, but because God created gravity and God sustains gravity. If God stopped doing His work of sustaining, everything would cease. That'd be the end of it. We'd be undone. God is not far away. God is here. He's present. He's sustaining you. We know this perhaps the most in the very hardest of days. When we come to recognize we can't get through, but God gets us through. God is the sustainer. He is the means of everything. Think about what that means about the love of God. 
that despite how we have treated him, God has continued to sustain us. The last part of that phrase says, to him are all things. Friends, everything that exists, exists for the glory of God. As human beings, we are nothing more than receptacles or containers through which the glory of God is poured in that it might be displayed to others. Another way of thinking about that is that we are our mirrors, that human beings are created in the image of God and that our express purpose for life is to display something of who He is and what He's like to each other. That's one of the reasons why we are all so marvelously different from each other, to show the infinite beauty and wisdom of God. God is the goal of everything. Rightly understood, all things find their culmination in God. From Him, through Him, to Him are all things, everything. Paul says that's why God gets all the glory, because it's all His. Now, if you'll look back in verses 34 and 35, you'll find a couple of questions. These questions are quotations from other places in your Bible. Perhaps your Bible has footnotes that draw your attention to them. I'd encourage you to look at those some other time. For time's sake, I just want to express what these questions mean. The argument that's being made is that no one adds to God's wisdom. No one sits down with God and explains to Him how things really work. No one straightens God out. No one shakes the finger at Him and tells Him, this is actually how it's supposed to be. We might try, but God needs no counselor. God is just fine on His own. Is that hard to receive? There's all kinds of people in the Bible who tried to question God, but no one fully uncovers who He is. And no one straightens Him out. Rather, like a child who climbs out of a tent at night, first time camping, and sees the stars and just exclaims, wow, to the adult that just loves to go to the beach, sit in a chair, and stare because you can't see the other side. God is infinite. God is majestic. God is all-powerful. God can never be fully known. Every day, Christian, you can learn more about God. You can never exhaust Him. Isn't that amazing to think about? In fact, a couple of words are used here. Inexhaustible. Incomprehensible. Unsearchable. Inscrutable. Part of what the text is getting at, is that apart from God's generous self-disclosure, we can't know anything about Him. That He is so far above and beyond and bigger and better 
that even a knowledge of and awareness of God must come from Him. But this inexhaustible God, while not comprehended fully, is in fact able to be known truly. That is part of the argument that's been made in Romans 1 through 11. If you've never read through those verses, I would encourage you, take 30, 45 minutes sometime in the next week just to sit down in one sitting and read through those 11 verses. What you'll find is the text moves from a very dark, grim, but true reality that all people are bound in sin and that obedience or trying to obey the law can't fix this sin problem. And yet God in Christ came, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, rose again. And that if you repent from your sin and turn to him, then God makes you alive together with Christ. And that you are then in him. And all of life begins then to be about God. And that that reality didn't start with you. It started with God. And that we are so far in debt, in, in bondage to sin, that Christian, you would never have chosen God if God didn't first choose you. That is what these first 11 chapters tell us. And when we get to that point of seeing God is a whole lot bigger than I thought he is, what is the appropriate response? Well, that's what the end of Romans 11 is. It's, it's a man who came to recognize the Apostle Paul. As much as I know, God is so much bigger. Let me praise him for all glory is his. So if you want to know God, then look to Jesus. Jesus is God revealed. Jesus is God made known. Starting next week in our worship gathering together, we'll begin going through the book of John, the Gospel of John. John is the fourth in the biographies of the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You might consider meeting up with somebody else in the room or perhaps even a non-Christian that you know from work or in your neighborhood class and begin reading through that book together, simply talking about what it might mean trying to discern what God is saying. And we will spend um, quite a while together working our way through this great book, the Gospel of John. John tells us who Jesus is. We're going to have a lot of fun together seeking answers there. Now this truth that all glory belongs to God is not, as churchy as it may sound, is not an idea to file away. It's not a a concept to hear and then stick on the shelf until next Sunday. Friend, it is rather a truth to embed and base and live from every day. Far from being too heavenly minded to be any earthly good, the perspective that all things are for God's glory is immensely practical to the stuff of everyday life. You see, this is a certainty to experience that all glory is God. Some of the most brilliant human beings who have ever lived understood this. A couple of examples from 
opposite extremes in the way we might think about it. This morning when you got up, you were happy to get up, weren't you? You got up and to uh, enjoy your morning, you turned on some Bach all the way up, I'm sure, every person in the room. Bach is, without a doubt, the most famous composer who has ever lived. Did you know at the end of every composition, Bach would write the equivalent in English of S-D-G. Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but those aren't his initials. So what do those mean? They mean sola dea gloria. You see, Bach, this brilliant composer, understood the beauty of the music he was writing was for someone else. His beauty was for God. And so, in every composition, he ended S-D-G. What would change in your life if when you finished, it wasn't your initials there, but rather sola dea gloria? The beauty of music is not, in the end, about the music. It's about the God who created people who can create such beautiful music and something of His beauty and His wonder. That's why it captures us. You can hear a song you haven't heard in 15 years, and you hear it, and what happens? You remember every word. There's a power in music, and Bach knew that. Now, the opposite extreme. Let's go to science. It's been a while since some of us have been in school, but we likely remember something of Newton's laws, right? Now, in in school, I went to public school. You can make whatever you want of that. In public school, we get Newton's science, but not his theology. Now, I can't commend all of his theology. He was a little off the rocker in a few areas. But here's something you may have never heard. In a letter written to a guy named Dr. Bentley, Isaac Newton opened with these words. Sir, when I wrote my treatise about our system, meaning the the solar system, I had an eye on such principles as might work with considering men for a belief of a deity. And nothing can rejoice me more than to find it useful for that purpose. Newton's laws, he understood, to not ultimately be about how smart he was, but a recognition of how God has created and sustained the universe. Did you know that? That from Bach to Newton, some of the most brilliant human beings who have ever lived understood life is not about them, that all things exist for the glory of God. Now, some of you are really great, but you're no Newton or Bach. (laughs) How much more we ought to see? All things are for God. God is the rightful recipient of praise. Now, Newton knew that this was true, certainly, of God's creation. But more importantly, the Apostle Paul knew This is even more true of God's new creation. You see, 
Salvation from beginning to end is about the work of God. It's God's doing. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The Scriptures teach us that God is sovereign over salvation. That it is His from beginning to end. This new creation is one of the ways the Bible talks about what it means to be a Christian. That we were dead, but now in Christ we have been made alive. And that that's God's work. And He makes us new creations in Christ. Maybe some of you here today, brothers and sisters, don't feel like new creations. But that doesn't make it any less true. We've got to learn to live from not what we feel, but what is real. And eventually, right feelings follow right thinking. God's sovereign salvation deserves our constant praise. Now look at verse 33 with me again. It says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, how inscrutable His ways. I had to look up inscrutable. Maybe that will come become commonplace language for us around here, but I don't hear it often. Inscrutable literally means unable to be traced out. Like someone walking along the beach as the tide comes in and your footprints are washed away as soon as you're there. You you can't trace back and exhaust who God is. He is inexhaustible. His ways are higher than ours. Now, notice that word depth. The deepest point in the ocean is called the Challenger Deep. Scientists are always the most creative people out there. Challenger Deep. It's it's estimated that the bottom point of Challenger Deep is 36,200 feet below sea level. That's a long ways. That is deeper than Mount Everest is tall. God has created an incredible world. But friends, held up in light of what the Bible teaches us is true about God, Challenger Deep is nothing but a pothole compared to the depths of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God. No one can track out His paths. Rightly understood, we can never tire of His praise. So maybe a few practical ways to pursue something to do as a result of this passage. I would ask, first of all, to the Christians in the room, do you regularly see your salvation as solely a gift from the infinite riches of God? Is it, is it commonplace for you to be in wonder over what God has done for you? Or have you lost your awe of God? Unfortunately, there is a danger that the things of God can become like the back of our hand where we just see it and we don't recognize the gifts that we've been given. If that's you today, I would certainly say I can understand. I've been there many times. I've struggled with that issue by experience. Experience. 
And Christian, if you have lost your awe of God, you know what? There's a proper response to that, and it's not to pretend it's not there. You're not going to surprise God. He already knows. So, so come to Him, even now, before you leave this room. and Repent over your small-mindedness. Repent over making other things more important. Turn again from seeing problems as big in God, as small. And ask Him to renew your faith, to enlarge it, to grow your confidence in Him. My dear friend, He will. God wants to be closer to you far more than you want to be closer to Him. But there's also corporate application for us here, not just personal. And we could think of it in this way. Church, we should beware, we should watch out for anything that would steal glory from God and make church about us. Church on Mill isn't ultimately simply about us. So we've got to be careful the way we, we talk, the way we think, the way we refer to our church. It's not about how many gatherings we have, how many people are here, how cool the new decorations are, even though they are. It's not about how long we've been here, or even what we're doing to serve. Church is ultimately about what God has done for us. And so we must be on guard against an arrogance even about the things of God. May everything we do together be about God and for His glory. May our conversations, whether they're in this room or over text, be about helping each other grow up in Christ to recognize His great glory. We're here for Him. Maybe you're here today and you're a non-Christian. have yet to trust and put your faith in Christ. Do you have any idea the kind of God we're talking about? We're talking about a God who knows literally everything there is to know about you. And yet offers himself to you in Christ. He is a God of infinite love. A God who loves you far more than you could ever imagine. And through the gospel, offers you the chance to know Him. And if you will turn from sin and turn to Him, then you will find that He has already, in fact, made you alive. You can know this Jesus we're talking about. Friends, Glory is to be to God forever. Amen? God's sovereign salvation deserves our constant praise. God's sovereign salvation deserves our constant praise. Now before we go, maybe there's a person or two in the room that has some objection to this particularly this part of it. See, the Scriptures tell us not just that 
God gets all the glory. But from beginning to end, the Scriptures also tell us that God getting all the glory is for our own good. That when we recognize who He is, when we ascribe to Him what's already His, that's the very best possible thing that could happen to us. Do you have any yes buts in your mind to that? There are many. We don't have a lot of time, but let me try and speak just to one. If everything is about the glory of God, then we should just say goodbye to happiness. That if I'm not the center, but if God's the center, and I truly begin to live like that, then my life's going to be pretty miserable. Now, it might go something like this. There's a version of Christianity that says, if you obey the rules, follow the commands, endure another sermon, read the Bible despite it feeling boring. That that's all God wants. That if you just buckle down, toughen up, try harder, give, 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 serve, 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 read, 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 do, 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 then it makes no difference how you feel. God's not interested in your joy and peace. He just wants your obedience, even if it's begrudging obedience. Because God's an angry taskmaster. He's not a majestic, loving, approachable God. Instead, he's a distant deity who you only hear from when he's angry. Far more like your dad than anybody else. That view of God is what causes the objection that God's glory and our joy don't go together. But here's the great news. That God doesn't exist. There is no God like that. That's not Christianity. God cares incredibly deeply about your joy. So much so that He has told us life is about Him. And when we live for Him, through Christ and His sustaining power, that's when we come to see how great life can be in Him. Friends, Christianity, Christianity is the message that God is for God. It's also the message that God being for God is for our good. Because we were made for the glory of God. And so the Creator has the right to tell the created what life is about. So it turns out that the pursuit of God's glory and our joy are simply two sides of the same coin. They are the same pursuit. If we start with the vision of the glory of God, our joy is sure to follow. Every joy on earth we have is but an expression of God's goodness and God's glory. Far from being a cosmic killjoy, God is the fountain of everything good. 
Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is a little bit of joy. No. In God there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. Friend, the more you live for yourself, the more pitiful and miserable you will become. The more you live for God's glory, the happier in Him you will find yourself. Sola Dea Gloria. To God be the glory. Tad, would you come pray with us? People are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, according to the Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. pray together. Father, you will be glorified. You will receive all glory, for you are worthy of all glory. And as Pastor Chuck mentioned, the whole world is the theater of your glory. Your creation displays it. You could have painted in drab colors, and we would not have known the wiser. You could have made everything taste the same, and we wouldn't have known any different. Yet your creativity in the world is a testimony to your glory, and you will be glorified. But you're not just glorified in your creation. You're glorified in your plan for salvation. Even before you created anything, you planned for the Son to become a man so that he might die as a sinner, might thereby save us from ourselves. Even in the most unjust and awful of circumstances, a truly innocent man dying a torturous death, you are glorified. Everything works together, not just for our good, but ultimately for your glory, because you will be glorified. You're glorified in sinful man. You could write out evidence of who you are in the skies and make it indisputable that you are God, yet you have chosen us as your children to proclaim your name to the world. To think that you would choose someone who tries to make himself the center of the universe as the one who would be your representative. That is truly unbelievable. Yet you have, and it's all to your glory. So, Father, help us to see you for who you are. Help us to see your glory. Help us to make much of you. Help us to make you the center of our lives. Help us to reflect your glory to others so that they may see you for who you are. We thank you also today that even as you've called each of us to be missionaries here in Arizona, you've also called some to serve overseas. So we ask that you would be glorified in the lives of Patrick and Becky Patterson. We thank you for the time that we had together earlier this summer. We ask that they would be renewed and refreshed as they prepare to go back to East Asia to serve later this year. We pray for salvation at an early age for their children, for Oliver and Elijah and for their unborn child. We pray for protection for Patrick and Becky in their marriage and that their marriage would would be a testimony to you that would bring glory to you. We ask that they would continuously be resting in you, that they would seek nothing other than to know you more and to glorify you in all that they do. Especially today, we, we praise you for a church family that can glorify you in our time of corporate worship as we serve together as we participate in connection classes, as we have times of fellowship together. We thank you for this gathering of believers here called Church on Mill. 
Thank you for the heart of the men and women here, the believers here that want to make much of you, that want to set aside personal agendas to sacrifice so that more and more people can attend our gatherings and testify to your glory. You receive all the glory, Father, for your name is great. And in the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Ushers can come forward and take up the offering. It's been a great day. Amen.